Okay, good morning, everyone. If I can ask you all to take your seats, thank you so much. My name's Grant. I'm one of the pastors or elders here at Restored Uptown. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn to Matthew 7. Otherwise, the scriptures will come up on the screen. I'm going to pray, and we're going to get into our message together. As Paul comes up to give me some company. Um, Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time together. We thank you that we can worship you, that we can learn about you, that we can grow as your people, as your children, as your family. And I just welcome you here, Holy Spirit, and I ask that you would speak to us. I pray as a church you would speak to us from Matthew 7 today, and I pray individually, Lord, that each one of us would leave having heard something from you, something for us, something that's relevant, something that resonates, something that's so true, something that encourages us, something that helps us to follow you this week. So we welcome you and say, have your way this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We're carrying on with our series in the Sermon on the Mount today. So we'll be in Matthew 7, verse 7 in just a minute. But I wanted to share a story with you first. Um, If you've been here for a while, I think you would have met my daughter, August. She's almost three. She turns three next Saturday, which is exciting. Uh, She's got cute little pigtails. We think she's the best. We we love her to bits. Um, She loves Paw Patrol the movie Cars, loves music and dancing. Um, Shell told me yesterday that someone said to her recently, maybe she'll be a singer one day, but <laughs> I don't think a dancer, <laughs> that's not in her future. So she's got some gifts, some strengths, some weaknesses. Maybe Jackie can help her in that, we'll see. But one of the things that we find is every single morning we wake up to her shouting from her room and she shouts something like this, I'm finished, doo-doos! Which, just so you know, because I know this is like a um, code-switching thing, doo-doos mean sleep. <laughs> doesn't mean poop. She's saying, I'm finished sleeping. Get me out of my bed or change my diaper. She shouts from her bed, change my diaper. And we wake up to these shouts and these screams of this girl crying out for what she wants. Sometimes we even get, I want to watch TV. So just want to be <laughs> transparent. <laughs> we get that one too. And we can ignore that as much as we want, but she will continue to shout. She will hold us hostage until we go into the room and get her out and give her what she needs. Maybe not what she wants, but what she needs. And then when I get, work in the, get, when I get home from work in the afternoons, sometimes tired um, you know, after a long day, different things going on. When I get home, sometimes with arms full, I am a nerd, so I carry a book bag with me. I've got a backpack with me. I've got keys. Sometimes there's like an Amazon package at the door. I've got a helmet with me. And I've got all of this in my hands. And I walk through the door, and she just runs at me, open-armed. Daddy! You know, she wants to be cuddled and spun around and loved. She's missed me. You know, she wants to see me. But that means for me as her dad, I need to quickly drop everything or get everything out of the way so that I can not disappoint this little girl, but embrace her and spin around and love her which is what I want to do. And what I love about both of these stories is that August believes in her little heart completely, um, that, we, that she has complete like 24-7 access to us. She can come to us whenever she wants. She can speak to us whenever she wants. That is her expectation. She believes that. She's dependent on us. She's got this confidence that we want to be with her whenever she wants to be with us. So she lives that way. She treats us that way. And we love it. It is such a gift. She knows that that's what parents are meant to be. The ones that you depend on, the ones that you come to, the ones you can speak to, the ones who help you, the ones who embrace you when you run to them. That's who parents are and that's what parents do. So that's what she expects from us. 
And in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 a few weeks ago, Maria shared so well and gave us a formula for prayer. Jesus literally teaching his disciples how to pray, a structure for our praying. But here in Matthew 7 today, we find a prayer invitation, kind of the the widest open doors you can imagine to come to God in prayer with expectation that he will meet with us. If you want to get like kind of the shortest summary of what this passage in Matthew 7 is saying, it's him, you, always. That's the big idea today, him, you, always. There is nothing that can stop you from coming to him. There is nothing that he wants from his side to stop you from coming to him. His arms are always open. The invitation is always out. There is a VIP pass with your name on it to come and be with the Father in heaven. And that's what Matthew 7 is going to teach us now. He wants us to live the way August does with us, with this expectation, 24-7 access to the Father, this dependence on Him, this confidence that we can come to Him because He wants us to come to Him. And today as we continue in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to elaborate on this a little bit more. He's going to give us the greatest invitation of all time, what some theologians have called the golden promise. And you'll see why it's so great, why it would be the golden promise in just a moment. And then as we go through Matthew 7 to 11, he's going to finish it up with Matthew 7 verse 12, the golden rule, a really well-known principle, which might be the most challenging of all of Jesus' teachings in all of the scriptures. So buckle up. (laughs) We're going to get into it this morning. What we're going to see as we go through this passage in just a second is that Jesus is teaching us what God is like. He's teaching us a bit more about prayer, and he's showing us that the way God treats us should be the way that we treat other people. So if you've got a Bible, you can read with me from Matthew 7 verse 7. Otherwise, it'll come up on the screen this morning, and it says this. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, Whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them, for this is the law and the prophets. As I said already, in Matthew 6, we're given this prayer template by Jesus, how to pray. But here we get given this incredible invitation to come to God and pray. He wants us to pray. He wants us to live a lifestyle of prayer. His arms are always open for us to come to him. But more than that, more than that VIP pass that we find here, we also find something that seems like a blank check. Did any of you guys watch that movie growing up? Kid who finds a blank check can fill it in and do whatever he wants. It was amazing. As we read these verses, it almost seems like God is giving us a blank check in prayer, saying, whatever you pray, I will answer. Whatever you ask, I will respond to you about. But let's look at what it says here, Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Will, will, will. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Full stop. No asterisks with like fine prints at the bottom of the page. No clauses, no conditions, no contingencies, no loopholes. Just a promise from God that the one who asks receives, seeks finds. 
knocks, the door will be opened. What an incredible promise from Jesus. Before we move on from that, can you just sit in that for a second? What an incredible invitation and promise from him. At the same time, I think as I share this this morning, some of you might have been following God for a long time, and some of you might even feel hurt with God, disappointed with God, doubting God in some ways. And as I read this today, some of you might be sitting there thinking, well, that's not true for my situation. Now, I've, I've heard this before. I've heard this preached on before. I, I read this recently, but I prayed, and my prayer wasn't answered. You know, I, I sought, and I didn't find. I knocked, and the door wasn't opened. I'm going to do my best in the next few minutes to answer some of those questions, but I want to ask you just to bear with me for a second, because the big idea here is of invitation, and I want to start with invitation before I get to some of the questions that you might have. There is an invitation here to come to God and pray and an expectation that he's inviting us to have that he will answer the prayers that we bring to him. And reading this, I wish I approached God more like August approaches me. I wish that I had that same kind of confidence, expectation, excitement, enthusiasm, complete dependence on him. I've watched August just run and leap. I'm not ready, but she leaps because she depends on me and trusts in me. I wish that I prayed that way. I wish I lived that way as God's son because the scriptures say that I can. And that's the picture that Jesus wants us to take out of Matthew 7. A picture of complete access, 24-7. Yesterday, this is a bit of an overshare, but I was sitting in the bathroom which gives you enough context and information that I don't need to elaborate from there. I was sitting in the bathroom doing something that Shell and I will call a smoke break, which is when during the day we just feel like we need a few extra minutes to just kind of decompress and find some space. So we go into the bathroom, we do our business, but also sit on our phones and just kind of space out for a little bit. And while I'm sitting in the bathroom, I hear this voice at the door, Dad, Dad, Dad. And I think, I know, it's, if I ignore her long enough, she'll go away, you know? If I don't add fuel to the fire, the fire will die down. It's going to be fine. I was so wrong, guys, so wrong. Dad, dad, dad. And then the hand goes to the door handle. And I've locked the door because I want the space. But I just hear that rattle of the handle turning and see it moving. And I, I live in this fear. Audrey knows what I'm talking about clearly. I live in this fear of this handle just turning and August not letting me have the space that I so desire. So I give up. I give up on the smoke break. Um, I close my phone. I go to the door. I open up. And I see this face looking up at me, holding a cookie, saying, Dad, can we play now? This girl who's got such good theology, I have 24-7 access to the Father. No matter what he's doing, I have access to him. I can come to him no matter what. And I wish more and more that I approached the Father like that. And I wish that you did too. This is the invitation that Jesus is making to us, that we can come to him anytime, no matter what. Don't disqualify yourself. No matter what your days look like or your week, no matter what sin you might be struggling with, the Father's arms are always open to you. The Greek here in this passage um, around these words, ask, seek, and knock, is to keep asking to keep seeking, to keep knocking. The idea here is of an ongoing lifestyle of prayer, not just a one-off prayer that we pray. Because this is about relationship. It's not just about throwing our requests out there. So we keep asking, we keep seeking, and we keep knocking. I'm sure some of you have heard that taught before. But I just want to emphasize here 
that what Jesus is trying to say, the big idea of this passage, is not about our skill in prayer or our perseverance in prayer. That is not the big idea here. Persistence in prayer, perseverance in prayer is a good thing. If you read Luke 18, verse 1 to 8, Jesus gives us the parable of the persistent widow. Persistence in prayer is good. It's just not what Jesus is emphasizing here in Matthew 7. He's teaching us that we want to continue in prayer in this lifestyle, this relationship with the Father where we know His arms are always open to us. This is not a passage on prayer methods. I have heard the sermons before, as I'm sure some of you have, which talks about asking prayer, seeking prayer, knocking prayer, different types of prayer that will lead to answered prayer. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not trying to give us a method. He's already given us a formula in the Lord's Prayer. Here he's giving us an invitation to relationship with the Father. The emphasis here is not on persistence in prayer. It's on God's goodness. It's on his kindness. It's on the kind of Father he is and who we can expect to meet as we come to him in prayer. That is what we're learning from this passage in Matthew 7. The big idea here is not that persistence in prayer leads to breakthrough. The big idea here is that God's arms are persistently open to us to come to Him in prayer. The big idea here is not that persistence in prayer leads to breakthrough. It's that His arms are persistently open to us to come to Him in prayer. His door is always open. The invitation is out there. You always have the VIP pass. You can always come to your Father in heaven. So what do we do with unanswered prayer? What do we do with unanswered prayer? This is less, I think, a theological question for most people than a really personal question. I've read the books. I've listened to the podcast. Many of you have too. There are great answers to the unanswered prayer question out there. I can point you to those resources if you'd like. But this is a personal thing when we feel the pain of unanswered prayer and how it impacts our lives and those we love. Right now, Shell and I have been persistently praying for a few things. One is that our home in Durban still hasn't sold. It's such a weird, frustrating thing, you know, almost a year on. Just thinking, why, God? You've, you've made so many ways for us to be here, to, to follow you to what you are calling us to do. Why is this hanger-on still sitting there? Why is this question mark that's kind of frustrating and distracting and inconvenient and all of those things, why is this hanging on? And maybe we'll know the answer down the line, but why is this prayer not answered? Well, I thought about the fact that for 25 years now, I've been praying for some members of my family to become Christians. 25 years asking God that they would come to know Jesus, be followers of His. And that prayer has still not been answered. It's a prayer I will continue to pray. Those are prayers that we can still trust and hope that God will answer them. But what about the prayers where the deadline has come and the prayer wasn't answered, at least in the way we were hoping that it would be? I think healing is probably the most significant way that we feel and experience this. We long for a loved one to be healed of a sickness, and they're not, and we lose them. It's a deeply painful thing knowing that Jesus is a healer, knowing that he can heal, seeing examples in Scripture of him healing again and again and again, and then not experiencing that healing when we pray and losing someone that we care about so deeply. Some of you know that pain. Maybe some of you are in that situation now praying for situations to change, praying for hearts to soften that seem so hard, praying for a miracle, praying for a breakthrough, praying that God would meet the need that we have or the need that someone we care about so deeply has and then not seeing that prayer answered. Sure, nearly all of us in this room have got an example of that that comes to mind. 
There are not easy answers to this question. There are answers, but this is a very personal and can be a very tender and painful point for many of us. And what we see in this passage is not a clear answer, but when we feel disappointment with God, or when we feel doubts, or when we experience unanswered prayer, this passage gives us truth to cling to, truth to hold to in the midst of our uncertainty, the mystery, the confusion. It gives us truths like God is good, God is listening, and that God cares. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus uses the word Father 12 times to describe God. 12 times. What a foundation throughout the chapter. He's really trying to emphasize this so that as we get into Matthew 7, that foundation will be laid. We know that the picture of God that he wants us to have in our minds and hearts is of God as a loving, good Father. And then here in Matthew 7, he says it again. Speaking of this wide open door to pray and come to him, he wants us to know that God is a really good, loving Father. I know that's not all of our experience of what the fathers are like, but God is a really good, loving Father who wants us to come to him and know him and ask. And Psalm 84 verse 11 says this, he withholds nothing good from his children. That's a truth we can hold to. In the midst of uncertainty, disappointment with God and confusion, we can know that our Father in heaven, who loves you deeply, withholds nothing good from his children. Do you believe that? Do you trust him in that, that he withholds nothing good from us? And then how do we hold these tensions together? The tension of a loving father who can do anything. And this promise in Matthew 7 with unanswered prayer and not seeing prayers come together the way that we would hope or desire. Jesus says this in verse 9 to 11. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Now, I've always found this a little bit strange. In the commentaries I was reading building up to today, they're saying bread and a stone can look similar, you know? And similarly, if he asks for a fish, will he give him a snake? Some of the fish in that day were kind of eel-like. So the snake-fish thing can be comparative. Okay, bear with me in this. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? We have this amazing picture of comparison and contrast here. You who are evil. Do you notice that Jesus doesn't include himself in that there? <laughs> Jesus doesn't say we who are evil. He says you who are evil. Jesus who so relates to mankind that he came down and was God in the flesh, God among us, God walking our streets, God experiencing human life, was also the perfect sacrificial lamb, the, the spotless one, the blameless one, the one who would go to the cross to die for us and so that we could be made clean so that we could be adopted as God's children. So these promises we're talking about today could be true of us. He says, you who are evil, compared to God. Matthew 7 verse 11, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? I know a lot of you in this room I know a lot of you are incredible parents. A lot of you sacrifice and serve and love and give up things so that your kids might have what is best. You would do anything for your kids. And Jesus gives this comparison saying, you who are evil, imperfectly, sometimes with wrong motives, sometimes with right, 
but slightly uh, colored by sin, love your children so well, how much more will your perfect, holy, all-powerful, all-knowing Father in heaven give you good things? What a promise for us to hold to and know. What an incredible gift that he says that to us. Do you trust that this morning? Do you trust the how much more of God? Do you trust that as you might love someone and want the best for them, God even more so wants good things for you? I was um, in Target with my daughter this week, and we went to the toy section, and there were tears. <laughs> it, it, was, it was a great time looking through all the toys until she spotted this Cat Pack Paw Patrol toy on the shelf that she wanted instantly. She needed it then and there. I don't think she's ever shown interest in Cat Pack before. If you don't know what that is, you're a lucky person. It's not, it's not the best. But she saw this Cat Pack toy, and she needed it then and felt very strongly about this. And I'm standing there at that shelf thinking, August, I want to buy you every single toy in the store. I want to buy you every cat pack thing that's ever been made in the whole world. Your birthday is coming up. I'm literally taking photos of things on the shelf, thinking of how I'm going to love her and the good things I want to give for her. And thinking how much more does our Father in heaven, who knows what we want, who knows what we desire, who knows what we need, give good things to his children? How much more? This morning, can you accept both a wide open invitation of God to come to him, the promise of access and the promise of answered prayer, and at the same time, can we trust him when he doesn't answer our prayers, at least in the way that we are asking? If what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 7 is just a blank check, if it is this absolute pledge with no strings attached that any prayer you pray anytime will be answered in the affirmative by God. It changes prayer into magic and God into a service provider, really like this genie that we rub the lamp and God pops out and he gives us our wishes when he reveals himself here as a loving father. I don't know, did any of you guys watch Bruce Almighty? I know the movie crew in the crowd who know this. I don't even know if this is a movie you're meant to quote in church. It's like a little bit borderline. But in the movie, Bruce, uh, played by Jim Carrey, is not very impressed with God. He's really unhappy with God. And he lets God know that he thinks he could do a better job. So God says, okay, and gives him his powers for a small area in the U.S. for a small period of time. And Bruce Almighty is blown away by this and is really enjoying it. He's improving his career. He's getting ahead in life. But then the prayers start to haunt him. He's, he's just hearing voices all of the time, and he can't deal with it. And God says to him, well, you asked for the gig. This is part of the deal, you know? So he says, well, if I'm going to manage this, then how do I deal with the prayers? And he says, I know, I'm going to organize them. And all of a sudden, filing cabinets fill his home with millions of prayers. And he says, that's not going to work. It takes up too much space. So he says, we need post-it notes. And his entire home is filled with post-it notes, including his sleeping wife and his dog, who runs through, covered in yellow. And he goes, that's not going to work. It's too messy. So he turns prayer into email. And he sits at his computer. He's got 1.5 million prayers to respond to. He makes a big pot of coffee, and he gets down to business and just starts reading and answering prayers. You can imagine with Jim Carrey's face and his animation, the way he's just beating at the keys and his facial like demonstration, all of that going on is pretty funny. And you can see his hand, there's just a speed blur as he taps. And then he goes, okay, I must have made a dip in that, you know. How many have we got left? 
three million prayers. And he realizes this is a huge task. So he goes to the top of the browser and clicks reply to all. And he says, yes, <laughs> send. <laughs> three million answered prayers. Everyone gets what they want. And it causes absolute pandemonium, absolute chaos. Even those who prayed that they would win the lottery all of a sudden win nothing because thousands of people have won the lottery in the same day. It causes absolute pandemonium. The reality is that replying to all with yes is practically problematic as prayers clash together and some prayers are very evil and bad and selfish and hurtful. God cannot answer all of our prayers in the way that we would want. And if he did, that would also put a huge responsibility and strain on us. Can you imagine that? If everything we prayed and asked was answered with a yes. Alec Matia in his commentary says, if God did do this, then I for one would never pray again because I would have insufficient confidence in my own wisdom to ask God for anything. It would place an intolerable burden on frail human wisdom if by his prayer promises God was pledged to give whatever we ask, when we ask it, and exactly the terms we ask. How could we bear the burden? So as God meets us as a loving father, what do we do with this promise, the, the golden promise of Matthew 7? John Stott says this, it says, being good, our heavenly father gives only good gifts to his children. Being wise as well, he knows which gifts are good and which are not. Jesus has said here already in this passage that earthly parents are never going to give their kids a stone instead of bread or a snake instead of fish. But what about when your kids ask for a stone or they ask for a snake? They ask for something that you know is not good for them. What do you do then? What about us? Or what about when we ask God for things which feel or seem right and good and necessary, things we deeply desire, things we deeply want, things that we are cons um, consumed by in the moment? What about those times where God knows this is not good for us? Well, God who is good but who is also wise, like any good parent, doesn't give us some things because he knows what is best. He treats us the same as good parents treating their kids, not giving them every toy at Target, whatever it might be, but holding back on us. One more quote from me. Tim Keller puts it so reassuringly. This is one of the most beautiful quotes I've ever heard. And that's not a hype comment. I love this. This has impacted my prayer life significantly. God will only give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. God will only give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. The promise of this is that God is good. As we pray and ask God for things, he is good and he gives his children good things. Now, we don't know everything he knows. We, we don't understand everything he understands. We don't have the, the privilege of the oversight and the, the, the information that God has. But if we did... If we knew everything he knew, saw everything he saw, understood everything he understood, then we would also answer our own prayers in the way that he does. Are you able to trust God in that? Because we don't have the information. We don't have the understanding. We don't have that insight. So we have to live in this world in the dark, in a sense, just trusting that God, who is good, is doing what is right when he doesn't answer our prayers in the way that we want or in the timeline that we want. 
This kind of faith and living is hard. It, it requires trust from us. Trust in the dark, faith in the dark. Trust that he is who he says he is. Trust that he is a really good father, despite how it might feel. Trust that he is doing what he says he will do. Trust that he gives good things to his children who ask him. And also trusting him that if he is not giving us that thing, then it is either for our good or for our good now. This is a huge aspect of living by faith as disciples. That we don't just trust God with some things, but we trust him with our whole life. We trust him with our hopes. We trust him with our dreams. We trust him with our futures. We trust him with the things that we most desire. Can we trust him and submit to him in these things? And can we believe that he is always treating us the way that we would want to be treated if we knew everything that he knows? This is kind of the bridge into the golden rule in Matthew 7 verse 12. This is a really well-known scripture, a really well-known principle, even for many people outside of the church who haven't grown up with a Christian exposure. It says this, Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them, for this is the law and the prophets. Before we look at what this uh, scripture is saying to us, we need to look before that, because it says, therefore. Therefore, in light of Matthew 7, verse 7 to 11, therefore, in light of the golden promise, therefore, in light of what God is like and what he promises to us in prayer, we want to do to others what we would have them do to us. Daniel Aiken says the golden rule must flow out of the golden promise. Living out Matthew 7, verse 12, must flow out of living in the truth of Matthew 7, verse 7 to 11. So how do we respond to the golden rule? Jesus begins by saying, whatever you want others to do for you, whatever is a pretty comprehensive word, whatever you want, that, that's everything that you would want. Here Jesus is stating a really well-known principle that we'll look at a few versions of a moment in a positive light where before it had always been in a negative light. For example, in the past, in history, religion, philosophy, Confucius had said, what you do not want done to yourself, do not do to others. The Stoics had said, what you do not wish to be done to you, do not do to anyone else. And Rabbi Hillel, who we spoke about a few weeks ago, said, what is hateful to yourself, do to no other. This is the whole law and the rest is commentary. Go and learn. Jesus is not saying this in a negative way. He's saying it in a positive way. Not don't do, but do do the things that you would want done to you. And we see throughout the scriptures this principle again and again. Jesus says it in Matthew 22 and Mark 12. His brother James says it in James chapter 2. Paul the Apostle says this in Romans 13 and Galatians 5, that the entire law hangs from or is fulfilled in the command that we would love our neighbor as we love ourselves. The great commandment, the golden rule, the new commandment of Jesus in John 13, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. All of these things are coming together with the same truth of how we love other people. The NIV version of uh, Matthew 7, 12 puts it this way. It says, so in everything... Do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets is the Old Testament scriptures. Not only that, Jesus in other places says this sums up everything. So if you want a summary of what to do, how to respond to the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount, this is it. If you want a cheat sheet for what it looks like to be God's people, 
for what we need to prioritize, for what we need to do. This is it. In a nutshell, all of the teachings of Scripture come down to this idea that we would love our neighbors in this way, that we would do to others what we would have them do to us. Jesus spells it out for us. I'm getting a little bit cheesy here with all these goldens, but Jonathan Pennington calls this a golden vision for how we would live. Golden vision for moral life and ethical life comes down to this question, this truth, this principle. So if you want to know, am I doing something that glorifies God? Am I living in a way that honors Him and worships Him? We can ask these two very simple questions. Would I want someone else to treat me this way? And is me acting in this way, living in the way of love? Would I want someone else to treat me in this way? And is doing this thing, living in the way of love? Practically, Jesus gives us this very positive form of this principle. The negative would have looked like this. If you do not enjoy being robbed, don't rob others. If you do not enjoy being hated, don't hate others. If you do not enjoy being spoken about negatively on social media or gossiped about or slandered, then don't do the same to other people, which is really good. That's a really good start. But Jesus takes it even further and says, if you enjoy being treated kindly, treat others kindly. If you like to receive gifts, if you're a gifts person, give gifts to other people. If you like being encouraged, you like kind words, encourage others. If you like it when people invite you around or include you in hangouts or have you for a meal, then invite others, include others, have others around your table. So the question this morning is, what would you like done to you? What, what is it you really like from others? Go and do the same. Go and do the same. This is really the conclusion and the summary of the whole Sermon on the Mount. Next week, Andy will be preaching. The week after, I will, and then we're finished. But the next two weeks really are a summary and a, a wrapping up. This is the big idea of the Sermon on the Mount, the, the summary point of the Sermon on the Mount, the big idea at the heart of Scripture. And it is a very high bar. It's almost unimaginable. Some of us in this room who are Enneagram 1s, who are hard on ourselves, we read this and we're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> it is going to be a rough week. Thanks for your sermon today, Grant, because this bar is so high. Not only don't do the bad things, but do the good things, the, the proactive call to love in this radical way. But there is good news too. Firstly, you and I can't do this in our own strength. This would be an unimaginable weight to bear. If I said to you today, that's the end of the sermon, go out and love everyone in this way, it would be crippling. It would be overwhelming. And what about our skepticism and our fear? Some of us are hearing this and we've got questions and objections going on in our head. If I treat others in this way, they're going to get ahead and I'm going to fall behind. I'm going to be used by other people. If I love other people in this way, they won't. So that means I'm going to be used, I'm going to be abused. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to struggle. Life's already hard, and now I've got to do all of this and help others in this way. They're not going to treat me in the same way. I know those questions come into our minds and hearts. What about losing out because we're choosing to prefer others, putting others in front of ourselves? That's not what Jesus is saying here. We could do a separate sermon series on saying no and boundaries and limits and all of those things. But what we do see here is that this kind of love for others is only possible because God has first loved us in this way. In 1 John 4 verse 19, it says, we love because he first loved us. 
And the therefore of the golden rule in Matthew 7 verse 12 comes after what we've already seen about our Father in heaven, who he is and what he is like and his promise of provision to each one of us. Without the deep confidence that our Father in heaven loves us and will give us every good thing that we need, including the empowering of the Holy Spirit to actually live out this stuff, we cannot obey this. But when we experience the truth of Matthew 7, verse 7 to 11, that he is this kind of father, that he hears our prayers, that he meets our needs, that he gives us every good thing that we need, then we have the assurance that we need of what our heavenly father is like and this inner freedom and impulse to go and do the same. That as he has treated us, so we want to treat others. Can I ask you guys to stand and pray with me? If you're comfortable closing your eyes, that'll be great. I want to pray, and then we'll go into a time of communion. But I want to just create a moment for us to respond to him in prayer. I realize like different things may have stood out to you today. So I want to invite you just for 10 seconds just to isolate what that thing is, the, the big takeaway for you today. What is it that the Spirit is bringing to mind? What is He emphasizing? What does He want you to hear? What does He want you to leave here and do? Jesus, I want to thank you for the golden promise. I feel freshly reminded and encouraged by your open arms and your love and how you want to answer prayer. I feel freshly reminded of your love for me and your love for all of us. What a good father you are. How kind you are. How you want our best more than we do. How you have good things for us. Pray we would leave here believing that today, Lord. I pray, Lord, you would expose and remove, pluck out the lies in our hearts that might be fighting that truth, might be making it hard for us to believe that and live in it and approach you in that way. Would you expose those lies and pluck them out, Holy Spirit? And I pray you would water this truth in our hearts that we would have a new confidence and expectation and excitement and about approaching you in prayer. And Lord, I ask you right now to fill our hearts with your love. Lord, I love the golden rule so much. I think it is the most beautiful truth, the most beautiful principle, the most beautiful command. But I know I fail at it every day. And I ask you for myself and for each of us, Holy Spirit, for your empowering to become these kinds of people kind of people that love in this way, who are empowered to act in this way, whose reflex is to respond in this way, whose thinking is this way. Help us to love in the way you have loved, Lord. And let us experience and know and live in your love that we might be that kind of people. I've had a few conversations with people about prayer recently. Um, 
three. And all of them involve people speaking about not feeling like they could go to God or not wanting to go to God. Some because they were scared of what would be exposed if they were real and honest with God. They led them into some places. And also some about people just feeling that they can't come to him because of what they've done. Because of what I've done, I need to pay a certain penance, wait a certain period of time, get through a certain milestone before I can go back to him. And I I just want to say today, the Father's arms are open, and that is what communion represents. There is an opportunity now, if there are things that you need to bring to God, that you can bring to him. And you can experience his forgiveness. And you can be washed clean of whatever it is that is holding you back from him. This morning, if you're not a Christian in this room and you want to become one, you can respond to him now in this moment. Say, Father, would you adopt me as your child and forgive me of your sin and come forward and celebrate Jesus with us as a church. But this is a moment to remember the grace of God and the lengths Jesus went to, breaking his body, shedding his blood, that we could know him in the kind of way that we've spoken about today. So why don't you come forward? If you need to pray and reflect and repent, if you need to experience that for yourself before you come forward, do that. But I want to welcome you forward to take the bread, to take the wine, to break into groups around this room, to pray with some people, and to celebrate the incredible love of the Father to each one of us. Amen.